Psalm 129, whether you're using your own Bibles or a Bible app. If you don't have any of those, uh, there's Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you can turn to page 518, 518 of your pew Bibles or church Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, take that with you. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have the Word of God. And if you have questions, always feel free to ask us. We'd love to walk along with you in those questions that you might have. But we've been, during the summer, we've been in this series called the Psalm of Ascents. And basically what they were, they were these playlists for the Israel's road trip up to Jerusalem every few times a year. And they would sing these songs together as a people of God as they made their way from their home, homeland to Jerusalem. Now, one thing that you have to remember is that as they would travel to Jerusalem, it was dangerous. Not only would you have animals that could attack you potentially, but you would have bandits and thieves and robbers and criminals that would hide and come and either kill you or take things from you. But not only those, those threats, but you had the terrain. Jerusalem was set on high. So wherever you were coming from, you had to deal with the environment. And so think about this as you traveled a few times a year to Jerusalem to worship with all of God's people. Think about the endurance that it took, the resiliency, the perseverance to travel all that way and think about your safety. Well, this song that the people of God would sing that was on their playlist was about resiliency. What does it look like to be a persevering community? That's the question. And this song, this psalm, is about that. So follow along with me as we read this together. Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do, the, do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, so that, Lord, in the midst of a long journey, um, as we wait for your return, as we try to live out our calling as followers of Jesus, we know it can be grueling and tiring. So, Lord, may you give us the hope that only comes in you so that we might be a people of, of endurance, of resiliency, and of perseverance. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I think about this idea of looking back on your own history and your own story, maybe of hardship and struggles, a lot of times what do we do? With really traumatic stories of our past, we try to forget about it, right? Well, one of the films that came to mind for me was one of my favorite films, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, we'll be interactive today. Who's maybe watched that film here, Eternal Sunshine? This, a lot of us have. Same with the first service. Um, but it's, it stars Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. And this film focuses on these two characters, Joel and Clementine. And it really focuses on their tumultuous, difficult relationship. So much so that Clementine, who's played by Kate Winslet, ends up going to this memory-erasing company 
to basically get rid of every single memory of Joel. Well, Joel, who's played by Jim Carrey, finds out about this. And what does he do? He retaliates by doing the same thing. He goes to this memory, uh, memory, what you, memory erasing company and does the same thing in, in forgetting all about Clementine. But as he does, he realizes how much he loves her. All the memories, all the stories, all the things of Clementine, he actually wants to keep. And so this film focuses on how he wants to keep all the memories that are slowly fading from his mind. Now, this film begs a question for us this morning in what if you could forget all the traumatic, hard, difficult stories from your past? If you could find and go to a company like that, would you actually do it? Would you think that erasing all the traumatic stories of our past would make you a happier person? Would, you, would it make you a more uh, a successful person? Well, here, as the film begs us to do, it's to remember that the thoughts that maybe we try to push aside or bury or put into the background or subdue is actually not worth it because these stories, both good and bad, and especially the traumatic ones, the hard ones, actually make us who we are. That's what happens when you go to therapy and you go to, you see a counselor, you go into your past, not to avoid it, but to actually deal with it so that you might become a more resilient, stronger person. Well, here, this psalm, in a way, is calling us to do that as well as a people of God. That we actually need to recall the stories of our trauma and of our past and the difficulties that we don't want to think about, but that actually make us more resilient people, people of endurance and perseverance. Derek Kinner said this, about this psalm, he says, Whereas most nations tend to look back on what they have achieved, Israel reflects here on what she has survived. The singers take courage from the past, facing God with gratitude and their enemies with defiance. You see, this song is all about resilience, but it hearkens them to their stories of trauma and pain. I appreciate what Emily shared this morning as she talked about the Bible reading panel, that as you read the stories of Exodus, of Judges, of the first and second kings, Psalms recounts those stories, not of achievements, but actually of their trauma and of their pain and of their suffering. And here we actually see that. And in a broken world where sin still exists and trauma and pain will continue to be a part of our story, how do we be people who are resilient? Well, I think here this psalm, psalmist gives us two ways to do that, is we need to be honest in our assessments of our past, but also we need to be a people who are honest in our prayers. So let's first look at this aspect of being honest in our assessment. Verses 1 through 4 captures their, assess, their honest assessment about their afflictions that they have experienced. And it begins with this call and response, right? Much like we do every single Sunday for the call to worship. The leader of Israel begins by saying, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. And then all Israel, the people of God, respond by saying what? Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. 
You see, there's this call and response of not achievements, but of their afflictions, of their suffering. They're honest about that. They don't try to hide it. They don't try to minimize it. They don't try to put a positive, positive spin on it. But rather, they're just honest. They have afflicted me from my youth. It hasn't just one moment, but since I was young, they have afflicted me till now. Now, who's they? Well, they begins with the Egyptians, right? When Israel was becoming a nation from their youth, for 400 years, they experienced slavery, bondage, and suffering, long-suffering, so that every single generation would die knowing that they were slaves to Egypt and to Pharaoh. That's where you get this imagery of the plowers plowing their back and making long their furrows. They experience so much trauma and pain and suffering, and here they're calling that out. I think for us, we have our own afflictions that we might experience from our past. Maybe it's stories from your, from your families or from relationships or people who you trusted, things that have been done to you, and many times we want to minimize, but here they're honest about their assessment, about their trauma and their afflictions, but here's the hope. Look at what it says in verse 2. Yet they have not prevailed against me. How? How have, how have these oppressors, those that have brought suffering upon them, not been able to prevail against them? Well, it's verse 4. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. The reason their oppressors have not prevailed is because of the Lord their God. He is righteous. And the word righteous there, it's talking about this deep connection and relationship between God and his people. The promise that God made to Israel to say, I will be your God and you'll be my people. That promise, that relationship will never ever change. It is solid. It is forever. And because God is righteous, what has he done? He has cut the cords of the wicked. Now one scholar gave me this beautiful imagery of what that looks like. He said this, picture Israel, the person of faith, lying stretched out prone. The enemies hitch up their oxen and plows and begin cutting long furrows in the back of Israel. Long gashes cut into the skin and flesh, back and forth systematically like a farmer working a field. Imagine the whole thing, the blood, the pain, the back and forth cruelty, and then suddenly the realization that there was no more hurting. The oxen were still trampling back and forth. The oxen were still shouting their commands, but the plows were no longer working. God ripped the harness of the evil plowman to shreds. The harness cords connecting plow to oxen have been severed. They have not prevailed against Israel and the people of God. Why? Because God was faithful. And that's where we have to be able to be honest in our assessment. That is not Resilience doesn't come because of anything that we have done, our determination, or our grit. But it's because it's the result of God's faithfulness. It's His righteousness. The reason we can experience and be people who are resilient and look back at painful and traumatic experiences is because God is faithful. He sticks with us. He sticks with his people because he is faithful and he keeps his promises. And that's why when we look back at our trauma and our hardships and our suffering, we also have to see that God sticks with his people. And because of God's doing, because of his actions, because of his faithfulness and his character and his love, we can be resilient. 
We can endure even though we know that in a broken world we will continue to face hardship and experience. Paul says this beautifully in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's what resilient people of God looks like. It's not our own grit or determination, but it solely rests in the faithfulness of God. And that's what this honest assessment is all about. We don't need to hide, but we could put our hope in God who is faithful to his people. So if our honest assessment is a God who is righteous and faithful, then I think secondly, if we want to be a resilient people, guess what we need to do? We actually have to have honest prayers, real prayers. I met someone this week And they were sharing with one of their friends about just how much they were struggling. And this friend said, yeah, with a big smile, but God works for the good of those who love him. And he was just lamenting with me how painful and how unhelpful that was. And I do that. We want to we wrap all the, 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 the struggles and the trauma that we experience with a nice bow as Christians and say, oh, but God is good. God is faithful. Oh, he'll take care of it. And we kind of miss out on this beautiful aspect of how honest we can be with our God in our prayers. This is actually really uncomfortable. Read verse 5 with me. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up, right? I want to see them die. Like if grass is on a rooftop, there's no roots, right? It's shallow. I want to see them wither and die. Verse 7, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. He doesn't want them to succeed. Like, let them never experience goodness and success. And success. And in verse 8, nor those who pass by say the blessing of the Lord be upon you, that they will never be blessed and experience blessing. Now you're like, can we pray that? But this is what the psalmist prays. This is what the people of God are praying together corporately and officially, that the the ways that I have been cursed, the ways that I have experienced judgment, God, may you bring cursing and judgment upon them. That was modeled here just this morning, if you didn't catch it, as our elder, ruling elder John prayed. He asked that God would intervene for those who are experiencing injustice, that God would intervene those who are being marginalized, those that are experiencing real, real uh, conflict and suffering. As we think about Russia and Ukraine, a lot of times we are uncomfortable with this because we go, well, didn't Jesus say, isn't Jesus all about love? Didn't we just hear this morning that God is love? Didn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek? But as one theologian, Mirsaw Vol, who is at Yale, working as a director for Center for Faith, this is what he says. He says, when we are uncomfortable with things like this, it's because we live our little suburban life where everything is just hunky-dory and peaceful. But imagine those people whose cities and villages have been plundered, then burned and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been abused, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. The idea that we should not retaliate since God is love 
takes the quiet of a suburban home to believe that these prayers are not just and aligned with God. But rather, even Jesus used strong language like you are a brood of vipers, you are children of the devil. He flipped tables in the temple out of his anger when he saw injustice. Jesus was love, but he was also in love a God who practiced justice. If you experience such such traumatic experiences of injustice, you would want a God of love who would, in, who would back you up and intervene and bring justice and judgment to the wicked. But here's what I would say is it's not one of revenge or some personal vendetta. Rather, it's, being, it's, it's an honest prayer identifying real evil calling upon God to act, not the one who has been sinned against, not you. We don't take matters into our own hand, but we trust a God who is perfect in wisdom, perfect in love, and we're saying, God, you act. Bring justice. Bring your curse upon those who have enacted evil. That's what this prayer is about, and they're angry, but they're honest. Be angry without sinning is what James says, right? And here we see this honest prayer to the Lord. That's what resilience and endurance looks like. We don't need to sugarcoat things. We don't need to put a nice little ribbon around it. But to say, God, act on our behalf. Intervene. Do what is right so that we might experience healing and freedom. That's where we need to look to Jesus, right? This is where Jesus comes into the picture because Jesus is the one who could pray the prayer in verses 1 and 2. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. He experienced so much suffering, so much pain, so much hardship, so much hate and persecution, and yet they did not prevail against him. We, the they is we, who sinned against him who have cursed his name. We are the ones who have not prevailed against him because he ultimately would go to the cross and die for you and for me. The prayers of wrath and justice and and judgment and cursing, Jesus experienced completely and fully the wrath and vengeance of his father upon him. Why? So that we might experience healing and freedom, whatever we might go through. You see, we have to look at Jesus to experience the true resiliency and endurance and perseverance that we need in our lives to be able to go through this world and through our journey that God has called us each to. We need to look to Christ. Through his affliction, his suffering and death, what do we receive? Incomprehensible kindness, who says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. We experience unprecedented serenity. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we experience the resurrection where he finally conquers death. So we might experience the freedom from bondage that the Lord always desired for his creation. This is what resilience looks like. To be able to be honest about the experience that we have had, but to also be honest in our prayers. Let me share as I close a story about Corey Ten Boom. She was a Holocaust survivor, but one the reason because she was a Dutch woman, who, along with her sister and her elderly dad, that was when the Germans came and attacked, basically took on all these Jews and hid them in their home. 
But because of their courage and sacrifice, they actually, Corrie ten Boom and her sister were sent into the concentration camps. And there they experienced so much hard labor and hunger, sickness, humiliation, and hatred. And somehow, through a, such an impossible situation, they experienced God's relationship, the, the righteous God, the sticking with them God during that time. And this is what she wrote in her book, The Hiding Place. Even within these four walls of the barracks, there was too much misery, too much seemingly pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. But as the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear. And for that reason, the two of us, her and her sister, were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-winding circle of help and hope. Like homeless clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about around the Bible, holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's perseverance. That's grit. That's resilience. Not because of what we do. We are more than conquerors because of God who loves us. And that is pictured and shown through his son on the cross. So be honest in your assessments of your past. And be honest in your prayers. And through that, we can experience true perseverance because of our Savior who loves us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, who not only endured and was resilient perfectly to the end, but also took on the wrath and the vengeance of you. And it's only because of your Son that we can experience perseverance and hope and resiliency. So Father, as we come to the table, Lord, do that for us. Strengthen us. Give us the endurance that we need for the days ahead so that, Lord, we might be faithful. So set our eyes on you as you give us the bread and give us the cup so that we might be able to leave here ready for the journey ahead. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.